Welcome to Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina. It's really a pleasure today to be here with longtime Goleta City Councilman, retired police detective from Santa Barbara, Roger Aceves, who um, I admire a lot, watched you a lot over the years. One of those good uh, elected officials who does it for the community. And um, I appreciate you taking time to sit down and talk. How are you today, Roger? I'm doing great, Josh. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, thank you. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about Goleta Cityhood. You've been on the council for 16 years. Goleta's been a city for 20 years. Um, so you're kind of synonymous with the city. You've been on so long. Uh, let's talk a little bit. It's celebrating its anniversary. What do you think about when you think of Goleta being around this long, particularly after so many attempts prior to that to uh, become incorporated? Where's the time gone? <laughs> what do you think? It, you know, it seems to have gone by very fast. I mean, when I came on, I was elected in December of 2006. So I was still working uh, for the police department and doing city council at the same time. So I was close to retirement from the city. That's, that's what I did. I retired and focused being a full-time council member. Um, and that, as you know, was just a few months shy of our fifth birthday. Uh, the city of Goleta's fifth, fifth birthday. Yeah. And a lot has happened in these 20 years, but I'm very proud of a lot of work we've got, we've accomplished. I'm really proud that um, we recognized early on that we were a small city, a contract city. Uh, at the beginning, we had, you know, not as much staff as we have now. Um, and we learned to do things, you know, small things in a very big way because, um, we had to be um, frugal and fiscally responsible with what monies we had to spend. Yeah. You know, I grew up in Goleta and, you know, when you're growing up, you don't really think, you know, you're a kid, teenager, you don't really think, are we a city? Are we not a city? You know, we're actually managed by the county. Um, it's just Goleta, right? And we sort of just have always thought that way. How would you say Goleta's changed um, since cityhood? What's what's different? What are the major changes from the way it was before? Well, when we first started, of course, you know, the general plan was created. The zoning ordinances were created. And so now we're pretty much built out based on the plans that were put forward at the very beginning. Um, so now we're looking at um, alternatives uh, to meet the needs of our community, like housing. You know, with the AUD programs coming in, uh, it has different opportunities. But um, we we have grown to where I mean we're we're, we're built up, so we have to be we have to be very creative as to where we're going to put additional housing. Is it going to be like I said, AUDs? Is it going to be um, um, redoing uh, commercial buildings where you allow housing to come in? I mean, there's a lot of opportunities. Our planning staff is really looking at many opportunities to try to meet the housing needs of the future. And what do you think of housing? We had a situation where Goleta was incorporated and the original council was sort of a slow growth, no growth, not a lot of housing, uh, you know, perspective, keep Goleta the good land. And then they were kind of voted out. And then we got this new council that was a little bit more pro-housing, pro-development, and um, then it kind of swung back a little bit. Um, and a lot of that housing that was approved a long time ago, it got built like recently, a few years ago. And so there was sort of this gap between approval and when it was built. 
what do you think? Does Galita have the right amount of housing? Is it too much? Uh, you know, I live near Stork and Hollister and there's some traffic issues there. Uh, what's your take, you know, about the state of housing and traffic and congestion? Well, you know, it, that's an interesting question. You know, let's start to the very first council. Um, the, we had a, uh, a zone parcel actually right across from City Hall there at the Wisconsin Village at Los Caneros. And that was actually zoned for commercial development, uh, warehouses, et cetera. Yeah. Um, that first council decided that we needed housing. And so they changed that, mm. uh, changed the zoning to allow those, those condos to come in. And of course, when the condos come in, you know, where was the current uh, <laughs> leaders at that time get blamed for development, even though, as you know, it takes years to get a project through and it takes years to make sure that, you know, it, it is, it is uh, confined to the zoning, uh, confined to the general plan. Um, so do we have enough housing? Um, I think we can use more. I don't know where to put it. Um, that's what staff's working on because, you know, you know, it, it's, it's, it's hard to decide, to define what is enough. Although we have still a lot of people commuting from, from North County to come work here. Uh, can we create housing for them here? Uh, can we do it in partnership with the county or even Santa Barbara to, to, so build them housing to be able to keep our employees local, not having to have, have them uh, commute. Yeah. You know, and the other part of that is the commercial growth. Uh, Galita has become quite a, a, you know, a tech hotbed. We, you know, we have successful tech companies, um, not a tech company, but, you know, the big company with Target, that's been a big deal, uh, Galita Landing Target. And, uh, you know, if you're a Camino Real marketplace, that that's busy. There's a lot of people there. And, you know, what would you say sort of the state of Galita is in terms of being business friendly? If you're talking retail, um, it was wonderful getting Target into, into Galita. They've been wanting to come here for a long time. Yeah. And it's very popular. Um, the, the complaints I get is the lack of the, of the variety of uh, products. I mean, as you know, when you when we grew up in Santa Barbara, you wanted to go buy shoes, you went to a shoe store. Yeah. Um, you want to go to clothing, you went to a clothing store. Mm -hmm. And I miss those days. I mean, you know, it's, we need to find, and, and Mark Lanahan over at Camino Real Marketplace does a really good job is to find the right fit yeah. uh, of what needs to go in there. But it's not like the old days, Josh. I mean, it's, you know, retail's really changed. Then you have online um, uh, purchases. So um, we're doing the best we can with the, with the properties we can as far as what they can offer. What was it? Was it was it Kenny's? You remember that store? Was that the one where you would go get the shoes um, a long yeah. time ago? Kenny's. Uh, you know, and then of course Kmart was there forever. And um, how how did Kmart finally get out? Like I was always under the impression that Kmart was successful in that spot because of the university, more successful than the chain. Um, was that a big deal, as far as you know, to get them out and target in? It was, it was a big deal. Uh, as you know, that property is a family trust. Uh -huh. And um, they um, were um, contacted by Target and, and they wanted it. I mean, originally, I should say Target. Originally, Target was thinking about going to where Home Depot is. 
and um, and that didn't that didn't work out. So then they originally go in where the uh, Glee Athletic Club is. That didn't work out. So when they found an already established a retail location where they basically, with a few modifications, they jumped right at it. And that's how we end up with Target. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's definitely uh, infused a whole lot of new energy into that, that shopping area. What about, uh, as we look at sort of Galita in 20 years, uh, park space? I know I wrote a f- an article a few years ago about how Galita per capita was deficient in terms of green space, park space for its residents. Um, we, you know, we've seen Johnny Wallace Park come, come on. Um, what can the city do to create more, more green space, more recreational space for its residents as we see the population grow? Well, there's a number of things you can do. Um, one of them is, you know, there's, there's, when you have a development, housing development, um, or even commercial development, sometimes there's there's parcels that are left, remnants that are left. And that's how you get these little neighborhood parks. We have many of them that ended up that way. And if we can identify neighborhood parks where we can develop them for the neighbors to use, I mean, that would satisfy, but not as, 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 as um, to the level we need. Um, the city should also look to acquire additional property. I mean, as you know, um, we own the Glee Valley Community Center, and we're soon going to go into developing or re- redeveloping that as far as making it ADA compliant and uh, you know, and, 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 and building us. And that's a multi million dollar project. Mm-hmm. They just put the uh, little uh, tennis, what's that? Um, not tennis, but um, um, pickleball. pickleball. I drove by that the other day. Oh my God, it was lined up out the door for people to use it. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things we've always talked about is acquiring the school district property next door um, and where the buses are kept. And so if, you know, we've talked about that for years, if that could happen, then we can put additional park space in Old Town. Of course, it's close to the Johnny Wallace Park, but, you know, we should constantly be looking at other areas in town that we can have the opportunity to either purchase the land um, or, or help in some kind of uh, project. You've been a big advocate for really opening up this issue of the revenue neutrality agreement with the county. It's something you've talked about quite a bit. And I'm wondering if you could just kind of explain that a little bit. But, you know, when the when the Glita incorporated part of the deal, I guess, for the county to support this was that Glita was going to have to perpetually give a certain amount of money to the county, and that's money that you know Galita could use for a variety of purposes. What's that all about? And you know, how is that ever going to change? Well, uh, I hope it does change um, sooner than later. When we became a city, um, of course, you have to go through the local agency formation commission, the whole process. They need a vote of the people, and part of the negotiations with the original uh, with the founders of the city was this. This new, and I hate it, it's called Revenue Neutrality Agreement, which really isn't anything neutral about it. Um, it requires us to basically, quote, make the county whole for the lost revenue. Well, you know, through the years, we've been trying to negotiate this, and, you know, eventually someday it, it will be negotiated. But at this, to this point, Josh, we've given the county approximately $140 million of our revenue. Wow. Um, and it, you know, it goes anywhere from six to $8 million a year. 
Um, and it was created with a law that has since been changed. Um, and uh, no other city, no other city that is incorporated either before us or after us has this kind of obligation. So yes, it's been on my radar since day one, it still is on my radar, hopefully it'll change. Imagine what our small city of 31,000 people could do if we had $140 million. Talk about making parks, we could have made a lot of parks. Yeah. And is that a board of supervisors vote? How do you change that? It's a, it's a, it's a negotiated thing between the board and us, yes. Yeah, okay. So let's talk a little bit about politics, right? Um, you are always, uh, your name always comes up with these various races. You know, you've been on the council for a while and you're very popular. And so we have the second district supervisor seat that's open. And I, I've heard your name floated. Like, I, I wonder if Roger's going to run. Uh, do you have any plans to do that, Roger? Or are, are you thinking about that at all? Um, I've received a lot of calls yeah. and the answer is no. No. I'm not thinking about it, and I'm not. I'm not, uh, and I'm not going to do that. Mm -hmm. um, we last night at our city council meeting, we just re, uh, approved the new districts uh, for the city of Goleta, yeah. and um, the district that I live in is now going to be District One, and my position is open in November of 22. So uh, uh, you'll see see me on the District One ballot. Okay, so you'll be running. So or you're in a um a, a new you're in district one okay and yeah. that's you're gonna have to up you'd be up okay and what do you love about it roger i mean you've been serving for 16 years you're gonna run again what is it about public service that makes you tick uh you know i've always given back to the community um 32 years as a police officer working robbery homicide for quite a bit of time uh, i've been involved in many nonprofits in the community. My wife and I have supported many nonprofits to make our community strong. Um, I just love giving back. And as far as being a council member, I love constituency service. Mm -hmm. I love taking the phone calls and finding the solution to their problems, whatever the problems are. Now, I'm the only council member that speaks Spanish. So I make it very clear that you wanna call me, leave a message in Spanish, because I'm the only one that's gonna pick up that phone. So I'm able also to help my, uh, our Latino community, Hispanic community, uh, that those who don't speak English, but now they can actually speak to a council member that speaks directly to them as if they were you know, an English speaker. Yeah. But I love constituent service, that is the first thing. Someone calls me, I try to get back to within a couple of days, mm -hmm. um, even if I'm traveling. Yeah, I remember a, a while ago, you know, my, my one of my kids was playing at a park practice and there's some rebar sticking out of the ground and all the parents were complaining about how dangerous it is. And I mentioned it to you and you took care of it. You know, you, you had it done. And I imagine you, know, you get so many of those types of things where people just ask you. And that's the great thing about Galita is uh, there's not a lot of layers of process in terms of your elected officials, if they choose to, wanting to respond to you, you know. And uh, I also appreciate you getting rid of all those uh, scooters and bikes. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was, it was a nice, nice idea, but they didn't handle it uh, correctly when they came to town. Um, the other nonprofit, in fact, I saw you and your, 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 your family there a few times since I volunteered as a trained conductor at the train museum. Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah. And I love working with the kids. Um, 
right now I'm on the United Voice Club board of directors. I love working with kids yeah. and giving back to the community. Yeah, no, it really shows how much you love what you do in, in public service and, you know, also sitting through those pickleball council meetings as well. Um, let's talk a little bit about you. We've had a couple conversations about your past, and I'm wondering if you could maybe talk a little bit about your time in law enforcement. I know you uh, had, um, you know, you've had a long career. You've done a lot of things. If you could talk maybe about the hostage situation you were involved with, with the city of Santa Barbara, and just give us a little bit of a, a you know, a background on what you did for Santa Barbara and what you enjoyed about that kind of work. Well, um, other than, you know, the obvious patrol duties, I was also a field training officer. I was also a crime scene investigator. I'd go around taking fingerprints. Um, then Chief Breeza sent me to the FBI Academy in Quantico, Virginia, where I received additional training. But that was when I was working, working detectives. And um, it was when I was working detectives that we had that hostage situation where an individual by the name of Joseph Segura took his, um, grabs his child from his girlfriend at knife point. And when I was working detectives, I, the report came across my desk. Um, I happened to be in the field when uh, the call went out of shots being fired and uh, the address I recognized was the address where this child lived. So I responded, I was the only detective, first detective there, and then the rest of the patrol cars came. Um, he um, actually fired a shotgun, a rifle at me and uh, missed me by exactly uh, 12 inches. And I know that because the crime scene investigators were pulling out the bullets after the scene was all calm, but it took me uh, 24 hours I negotiated the release of, of um, his son, Josh, and, um, and then he was taken into custody. Uh, and then uh, a week later, they shipped me off to Quantico, Virginia, so I didn't, I didn't even have a chance to let my hair down on this incident. <laughs> what, what do you do in a situation like that when you're negotiating with somebody who's um, dangerous and obviously distraught? What are some of the tactics that you had to incorporate in order to resolve that and de-escalate that successfully? You want to be a, a good listener. Um, you want to let them talk more than you do because you want you're trying to find it out. Um, what is um, what is the motivation here? What are, what are the trigger points? Why is this person angry? Is it a domestic situation where they just got in a fight with his wife or his girlfriend or? Um, uh, and if it is, then you want to be careful about talking, you know, about those kind of things. But if it's, you know, in, in a national scene, if you got a hostage dealing with uh, political issues, then, you know, you, the FBI knows how to, how to handle those. But basically, it's listening, communicating, and finding a resolution uh, to the situation as quickly as you can. How did you get into law enforcement? Well, um, my great grandfather was a the get this he was a chief of police slash district attorney for a small city in Gomez Palacio Durango. <laughs> so my grandmother always wanted me to follow in his footsteps. So I joined the, the first police explorer program at Santa at the city of Santa Barbara, and uh, she loved it because I had this explorer uniform. So I had to continue on from there, and, and I went to the academy in 1977. Um, 
No, yeah, 77. So uh, she loved it. She'd always have uh, my picture hanging in her living room. Uh, and I loved it. I just, it's a great profession. I love the, the job we did. I love the, the, uh, the ability to keep our community safe. Um, so, yeah. And I've had many opportunities when I was on the job. I appreciate it. What, what were the demographics at that time? Were there a lot of Mexican-Americans who were police officers were, at that time? Were you, did you stand out? Um, what was the culture like back then? There were, there were quite a few of us. Um, and um, there were many that were bilingual. Um, and, uh, but back when I started, it, I want to say it's old school because we had guys that had been on the, and women who had been on the apartments for years. And so we knew the community. So if we knew, you know, uh, little Tommy uh, who, who rides a red bike is always doing this, you, you knew who Tommy's family was. You go and knock on Tommy's door. Yeah. I mean, you got to remember back then, our community was such that um, there weren't any locks on your doors, mm. you know, and people would come in and out, your friends would come in and out. In fact, uh, back then, we even had the, uh, those party phones. You remember those party phones that you pick it up and you maybe had four, four families on one phone line? Oh. So you pick it up to find it, well, can I use the phone now? Or, hey, guys, can I use it later? But it was all community. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 very different now. Um, so talk about how law enforcement has changed, and I'm going to ask you, you know, some, you know, big policy questions in a, in a second. But how has law enforcement changed? At when you started, was it a profession that was highly regarded? You know, uh, was it something that people gave you automatic respect out the gate? Were they skeptical of you at that time because of, um, you know? perceptions of how communities were treated. How would you describe the profession when you started? Well, it, it was one of, of uh, one of respect when I first started, especially, especially in the Hispanic community. We grew up to respect law enforcement. Yeah. And, um, and uh, but the, the times have changed and they've only changed because um, one perception and how officers handle their job um, and things happen all across the country and they think it happens here. Now, can our officers here do a better job in communicating? Absolutely. The one thing that's evolved now that wasn't when I came on the job is you got cameras everywhere. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've always been an advocate for the officers to carry cameras uh, while on duty um, because it, 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 it documents and it, 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 it removes the questions of what happened. You can see what happened. And now that we have cameras, you know, every commercial building in town basically has cameras out there. Yeah. So if you go if you go and try to do an investigation about an incident that occurred at a certain intersection, I'm sure you can find six or seven cameras are out there. So everybody's watching, but that doesn't mean that the officers need to, the officers need to go above and beyond to make sure that they are handling themselves appropriately that they are communicating appropriately and that they're listening to, to uh, the, the public that they're dealing with. Now there's so much talk right now of, um, well, there's a plan to redo the police headquarters on Figueroa street. What was it like when you were in there? Was it, was it um, in bad shape back then too? It's horrible. Where my locker was, there was pipes above it that would leak oh. the air conditioning system. And we knew there was a problem there because they're all, they're all wrapped in asbestos. And I don't know if they ever cleaned that up or not, 
Uh, but as the department grow, grew, the building did not, uh, was not able to accommodate the size of the officers coming in. And then with more women coming on, they didn't have uh, a, a more enough um, locker rooms for the women. So they had actually to uh, tear down a couple of rooms to add to that. Mm -hmm. So they need, a, they, need a new, they need a new police department when I first came on years ago. So I'm glad it's gonna happen. Um, but personally, I'm not too sure the location they picked is the right one, um, <laughs> but that's, that's up to them. Is it a little too big for that spot, you think? Or what are your issues? Well, you know, it's 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 right next to the neighborhoods, yeah. um, and that's where the farmers market was, yeah. and it's a meeting place. Um, and now I talk about moving them to uh, Carrillo Street, which is going to be kind of interesting, where you're blocking off Carrillo Street during during farmers market hours. But um, I always thought it should be somewhere closer to the courthouse. Um, they could have moved themselves to a, a, another location and rebuilt where they have. They got a big piece of property there. Um, and they could have built a whole new police park still downtown walking distance of the courthouse. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with what's going on in Santa Barbara. There's this community formation commission that's been meeting to talk about creating a civilian review board or civilian review system. And this came out. Um, as a product of the George Floyd murder and locals and activists sort of pushing for Santa Barbara to have some sort of accountability system. So one of the things that's been a topic of conversation among the Formation Commission is whether to have law enforcement represented on any future civilian review uh, system or board. And it was a close vote. It's back and forth. Some people say, no, how can you have law enforcement, you know, having a role in deciding how to police other law enforcement? And then the others say, well, you want somebody with expertise in the field because they know standard practices and that's a perspective that's valuable. Um, what do you think, you know, in your experience, knowledge of civilian review boards, is it important to have law enforcement on that kind of a panel? If I read that report uh, correctly, I think they were talking about having retired law enforcement. Yeah, retired, correct, it yes. Wasn't, it wasn't on duty. Not current, um, correct. And, and I don't see a problem having a retired police officer on there because you wanna be able to have a very constructive dialogue among the, among the commission. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, they wouldn't, I, I wouldn't see that as, a, as an impediment. I think it would be a help. Yeah. And so um, have you thought at all about, you know, whether you would be interested in, in doing something like that, uh, serving in that kind of role, or, you know, you sort of good with your Galita stuff? I'm good for Galita stuff. <laughs> <laughs> what about um, the, the culture of law enforcement? You know, I wrote a story recently where, you know, Police Chief Marty Malekian was talking about how difficult it is to hire, recruit, retain you know, it's always been difficult in Santa Barbara because of the cost of living, but now we're seeing fewer law enforcement officers go into the profession in the last year and a half since the, the George Floyd video and, and, you know, murder and, and also COVID, you know, obviously there's um, concerns about COVID and some law enforcement officers nationally don't want to uh, take the vaccine. Um, law enforcement maybe doesn't have the same reputation that it did back when you did it uh 
you know, what, what do you think of that? You know, how does that make you feel as somebody who devoted their life to it? One of my jobs when I was on the department, was I was the train, training and recruitment officer. Mm -hmm. And uh, in my office, I had files going back until the early 1900s of people who applied to be a police officer and how they uh, uh, didn't make it for one reason or another. But what I started thinking, and I got an award for this, was that we're not recruiting, because mind you, Josh, this has always been an issue. Recruitment has always been an issue. It was back then when I did it, and it is now. Um, but what I focused on was finding out why are we getting more local people applying? So I put all the numbers in the computer, and we kept track of it. We did local recruitment. We had local meetings, trying to get them involved uh, in any position we have in the department. And we started seeing more local people applying. And so, you know, it makes sense to do that because you have somebody that's already living in town. You're, you have somebody that already knows the cost of living of this community. And, uh, and they know the community. So it makes sense to do that. Um, I don't know if they're still doing that, but I think it would behoove the, the police department and the sheriff's department to go in their various communities and recruit locally as much as they can to get the local people involved, go to the schools, go to the colleges and get them interested. Yeah, having a local pipeline, um, people who already live here, you know, maybe. Uh, let's talk about some Santa Barbara things as, as the way they sort of intersect with Goleta. Uh, the airport being one of those big things. Santa Barbara owns the airport property and some of the properties surrounding the airport. Um, and then we have Goleta and the residents who are impacted by, um, you know, changes to the airport, uh, um, you know, the... the um, sound of the airplanes um, flying over. How would you characterize the working relationship right now between the city of Goleta and the city of Santa Barbara on some of the issues related to the airport and the surrounding land that's owned by the city, but in the city of Goleta? Well, we've been fortunate to, to have a council member who has a liaison to the airport commission, mm. goes to all the meetings, uh, is able to talk or participate. They're not a voting member, they're just a liaison. Yeah. So if there's issues that come up, you know, they can be addressed. Um, we've always had a good relationship with the airport itself. I mean, if you fly into uh, Santa Barbara Airport, you come in off the plane, it says, welcome to Santa Barbara and Galena. Mm -hmm. And so, um, it, you know, uh, we work well together. There's some issues, there's some development issues. That, that come up every now and then um, that we need to work with because any development on that parcel or those parcels certainly impacts the uh, traffic, the traffic circulation and uh, in the surrounding area. Yeah. The other issue is also the, they, they, they go through many changes in the airport flight plan. Yeah. And when they do that, it affects our properties because it can make some of our properties to be deemed legal non-conforming non because now they're in a flight plan, which they weren't in maybe for the last hundred years, but now they are. So when that happens, we have to work really closely, not only with the city of Santa Barbara, but also the Santa Barbara County Association of Governments when they do the, uh, the airport review, uh, airport plan review to make sure that we reduce the impacts because as you change the flight pattern, then you bring in noise into areas where they didn't have it before, and then with the complaints start up again. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I, where I live, and I grew up in Galita, so I'm used to hearing airplanes all the time overhead. It's no big deal. I, and I don't hear them. I wonder what's going on. Um, I wanted to ask you a couple of things. Homelessness. Uh, you know, you drive in Galita, you walk around, you'll see the encampments near the highway. Um, you'll see them at various spots. <clears throat> For reasons I won't explain, um, I had to walk from my house to DP one time. Um, you know, lost keys kind of thing. <laughs> and and uh, in that walk, I saw sort of like these, you know, um, encampments, you know, along the way, sort of in the bushes, stuff you don't see when you're driving. Uh, you see when you walk, um, what's going on with homelessness in the in the city of Goleta? And how do you, I know it's a regional issue, but, you know, what's Goleta's role in sort of addressing this? Well, it, it is a regional issue. We, we recently partnered with uh, the county to, um, to put uh, homeless in the Super 8 there at Fairview in Hollister. Um, we got some federal funds, so we didn't have to use uh, our, uh, our, our own money. So we, we contributed $600,000 and I think the county's putting in, I want to say 10 million. Um, the, the, and we have different groups that are working to help to get, to get the homeless uh, housed. Um, the, we just have to make sure that we have sufficient uh, resources available to help somebody who wants to be helped and, um, and, and do everything we can to, to help. I mean, in the old days uh, in Santa Barbara, we had this officer, Paul, uh, 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 Bob Casey. All he, did, all he did was work with the homeless and he was great. And one of the things he loved to do was to find out where somebody was from and did they want to go back home again? Wow. And so, you know, having monies available to buy a bus ticket or a train ticket, help them reunite with their families is always an option. But getting back to these campsites, um, the, the state did us no favors when they said that we cannot, we cannot disturb them because of COVID. Mm -hmm. So, in the, you know, in, in, before, it was against the law to even walk on the freeway. Yeah. Before, well, it's, the law is still there. There's also laws saying you can't walk along the railroad tracks um, and those are penal code sections, but we can't enforce it because of the dictates from the, from, the, uh, from the state. In the meantime, we've got campsites that have caused fires along Kalita, which is very troubling. So uh, we're working with Caltrans to clean away the, the not only encampments, but also bring back the, cut down some of the trees, trim the trees, trim the brushes, so there's no place they can really hide in there. Um, we've had a couple of fires right next to the Hayward Lower Yard and um, very concerned. And, uh, you know, one spark and we've got a major problem. Yeah, yeah so I'm, I'm glad, you know, Galita at one time, I'm sorry, Santa Barbara, they were thinking about um, sort of having a tent city over on one of the parking lots that they own over there by Fairview and Hollister. You might recall those conversations and former mayor Kathy Maria was framing it in the meeting as though Galita was fully on board with this. And they had had conversations uh, that didn't happen. They ended up doing the Rose Garden Inn and uh, you know, housing them there. But 
you know, I'm glad that, um, you know, I, I think the research shows like the tent cities don't really work very well. And I'm not sure how well they'd work in Goleta <laughs> near Old Town either. Well, the, the bigger issue here, though, Josh, is that uh, the, the then mayor never spoke to any of us. Right. And we found out about it in the news and said, really? I mean, yeah. this is not something you just throw out there and say, oh, by the way, this is what we're going to do when it impacts another city. Yeah. So that was, that was, that was, that was a surprise, shall we say. <laughs> yeah. And then I saw you, um, was it election? No, it's the swearing in. You were out there. You were congratulating Randy Rouse, who you supported um, for mayor. What do you think of the state of the city and, you know, your, your partner city to, to the south? Um, is it headed in a better direction with new? Well, Randy's been a personal friend for a very long time. And I saw his work on council. I saw his business acumen with his with his restaurant and how he worked with the downtown parking. Um, so he was a natural choice for me. I don't normally make endorsements. If you see, I, I don't normally make endorsements. But this one here I felt compelled to because I thought he was the right choice. And I think that, um, I think he's gonna pull um, the city together um, and uh, get away from partisanship, get away from, um, uh, people working in small groups and working together uh, together um, as, as one council helping the city. And I think Randy's the right person to do it. I'm so glad that you got elected. Let me riff off what you said a little bit there and maybe kind of put you on the spot with a little question, but more get you to explain it. Um, you mentioned partisanship, right? You're a Democrat, Roger. You're a, a moderate. But we see such like divisiveness like you're not the right kind of democrat or you're not the right kind of you know person when it comes to the democratic party and who they endorse and um you know as a latino you know you're bilingual you're in touch with uh you know um, underserved underrepresented communities you're a success story yourself you know in many ways you're you're um you know a role model for a lot of young people uh, especially young Latinos, you, you know, you did it, you're successful and look where you're at. But yet sometimes you can't get, you know, that party to endorse you because you're not to the left enough. And, and, and that comes up in these elections, right? You know, and that's why Randy's election was so significant was kind of tipped the whole balance. You know, the party's candidate didn't make it. Can you talk a little bit, like, how do you feel when, you know, sometimes you hear the divisiveness and here you are, you're, you're a Democrat, you're bilingual, you're Latino, you're a success story, but yet, you know, when it comes to the party, you're not their guy. How does, you know, how, what, what happens when you think about it that way? Well, when I was a senior at Santa Barbara High School, that's when I registered as a Democrat. And that was, you know, after the Richard Nixon issues and, and, uh, and all that. So all my friends were registering as Democrats. That's what I did. Um, but I never registered like I'm just going to be a Democrat. Um, and so I'm so I'm so happy that I'm in a position that the Cal as a council member, where the California Constitution clearly says says it's a nonpartisan office. So when I run for the Glee City Council, I'm not running as a Democrat. I'm not running as a Republican. I'm running as Roger Service, a member of the community. Um, when you get partisan politics involved, the Democrats want you to say, you know, you will do what we ask you to do. That's what they're advocating. You know, they're, they're advocates to do that. When you apply, I applied, I applied for endorsement one time, and that was in 06. 
And uh, when I applied, um, they wanted me to sign, and I did sign it, uh, a, an agreement that should I receive their endorsement, I would only endorse those that they endorse. So um, they didn't pick me. They only picked two of the three. That, four of us went up there, and only two received uh, their endorsement for three spots. Um, but I learned that. I said, I can't do that. I said, because if there's a, a, a better person for the job, and they happen to be, oh, my God, a Republican, I want to support that person. Or, oh, my God, they're an independent. I'm going to support that person because people do not care in the community, whether you're Republican or Democrat. They want to make sure that you know, the city is providing the services that you, that you require, whether it's law enforcement, whether it's public works. Um, but um, yeah, I guess I'm not the true Democrat, but I am a Democrat and I'm proud to be a Democrat. I signed up as a, when I was, like I said, when I was 18 years old. Yeah, yeah, definitely, you know, well said, and these are supposed to be nonpartisan races. Um, let's go back to where we started, which is Galita. You're planning to run for re-election this November. Uh, what's ahead for Galita? You know, we got 20 years down. If you're re-elected, you know, what, what, what's the plan here? What are you going to do? What, what, what do you want to focus on? Well, it actually, Josh, it's exciting times for Galita. Mm -hmm. um, as we recover from COVID, um, our finances are strong. Uh, we're hiring great employees. I mean, we're stealing employees from other cities because they want to come to work for us. Right, and, Santa Barbara. And, yeah, we're stealing from Santa Barbara. That's why I always kid my colleagues down there. I said, we took another one. Okay. So um, we hired the best. Uh, we have great staff. Um, financially, I think we're going to come out of this, this, this recession uh, very, very strong. Um, we're committing now millions and millions of dollars for roadway improvements. So people are actually going to be able to see the work getting done. So we have a plan going through that. Cathedral Oaks will be done fairly soon. Um, and that's one area where we've gotten the most complaints. Um, I'm really happy also that council agreed with me. We're gonna have a, a Cathedral Oak Safety Committee or it's similar to the 154 Corridor Safety Committee that SBK put together. I want one for Cathedral Oaks um, because as you know, you come up from Santa Barbara, you go into to the county, then you come into Goleta, then you leave Goleta. One big roadway, people drive way too fast. We've had a number of fatal accidents. And so we're gonna do a real study to see how we can make that corridor uh, corridor safer. Um, I'm really pleased now that we're going to district elections that you will have an advocate for your, your area, mm -hmm. that you'll have one person you can call to call and be responsible uh, for your neighborhoods directly um, and advocate for things to get done. So we have a lot of things coming forward in the future, I think, that are very positive. Okay, Roger. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Congratulations on 20 years of Glitter Cityhood and 16 of which have been, uh, you know, you at the helm, you know, former, you know, you've had stints as mayor as well uh, during this period. And, you know, you're very well respected in the community. So thanks a lot for your time and uh, take care. Josh, thank you very much. And thank you for these podcasts. It's very informative when you bring some, get some good discussions out there. And, uh, and, and uh, I really appreciate that. And I appreciate your invitation and, Call me back uh, in November or after November and we'll have another discussion. Yeah, we'll, we'll do it again when you're ready to launch or, you know, after you win in November. All right, take care. All right, sir.